Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And we are here today after a very long 11 days, has it been, Amber? I it's, think. Been, it's been a long time. It's been an average week for me, but for you it's been <laughs> rough stuff. I will give you guys an explanation. You know, usually every Sunday at midnight, you guys have a new episode released to you. And although it is Sunday and you are due for a new episode, it is released late. And that is because... Um, my husband, Matthew, had a sudden heart issue and needed a heart surgery, and we've spent the last 10 days in Cleveland Clinic. Shout out to Cleveland Clinic. I love them. Their Heart Institute is amazing, and they have now saved my husband's life twice. So if you're incredible doctor, nurse, work there, anything, God bless you. Thank you. Um, so it's it has been rough, but we were able to get back in the podcast studio without actually missing a release date, technically, because I am going to release this episode today, the same day we're recording, which we're usually two weeks ahead. So so we can't make any mistakes. Nope. Nope. Make, Pressure's on. Make the editing easy for myself so that I can shoot it out there to everyone tonight. Just know that we are spending the rest of the day podcasting to get back to two weeks ahead like we usually are. And this is usually why we try to prepare for life happening so you guys aren't missing episodes. But Anyway, sorry for being delayed a few hours. I know you all understand because you're our amazing listeners and you all have hearts. So thank you. I'm just going to say thank you right away because I know everyone understands. Otherwise, they're dicks. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. No, no. I think, I mean, I think people will understand and I'm glad we can get one out today. Me too. It's still going to be good. We're still on track. And and my husband is upstairs recovering and doing wonderfully. Yeah, so. He's good. He has his strawberries. He has his, his chocolate-covered strawberries that Amber brought for him. It yes, per request. Yes, and his favorite. So he's, he's doing pretty good. He is. All right. To, are you ready to talk about Terry Shepard? Let's hear about Terry. Okay, Terry is a garbage human being, but I'm going to thank our listener, Ashley, for sending us this suggestion and I'll actually read to you what she wrote us um, at the end of why she wanted us to cover it. Oh. Because she was kind of witness without realizing she was witness to a part of oh, this. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and hold on a second. Okay. We have two garbage pail kids this week, right? Oh, like We have a theme. We do. It's, it's troll. I actually like garbage pail kids. Can it just be that? You know what? That's it. Yep. It's settled. You are. Final answer. The garbage, garbage pail. The, the garbage pail kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're adult they are. men, but the garbage what pail What happens men. when they grow up? Yeah, they're, it, mine's horrible too, so. Yeah, this guy is no fun. Um, I will argue that I think the system created him just a little bit, but. Mm, okay. Uh, yes. Uh, I got noises today. Good word. The mimosa is flowing. <laughs> Oh, I'm a little spicy. So I like it. I like spicy Amber. So yeah, Terry Shepard, man, real, real doucher. And he self-described in an interview that he did with the dispatch as not being a normal child. 
He said when he was a kid, he liked to gut animals for fun. Oh, God. You, oh, I'm you jumping ca- in. Yeah, you caught me off guard with that I one. I see that. Sorry oh, about that. Ew. All we're, right. We're diving in now, guys. As yeah. an animal lover, you know he's dead to me immediately. For sure. Yeah, because he said that he liked to gut groundhogs, rabbits, mangy dogs that he found wandering around the countryside, which just really kind of broke my heart. Oh, they already had it rough, and then yeah, he's finding them. And he's murdering them. Oh, that's sad. Now, he um, grew up on a Hardin County, Ohio farm. This is an Ohio case. Where he would hunt for food, which is appropriate. He had his appropriate hunting strategies, all right? And in that in itself is not abnormal. But what he considered abnormal is the fact that he said, and I quote, I killed everything that I could find. That's disturbing. So he's honest. Yeah, he makes no qualms. You'll see through this whole thing, though, that he makes no qualms about who he is, what he did. He doesn't have remorse because he literally feels like remorse is useless. Like, what's that going to do? Bring the people back? No. Wow. I know. Wow. I I was a little taken aback, but at the same time was kind of like, hey, okay, thanks for not trying to make... You know, excuses and yeah, lies and for sure. He's like, yeah, and justification. It was me. He does not try to justify anything. Interesting. Nope. So he said, "quote I've always known that I was different, that I'm not like everybody else." End quote. He had seven brothers and sisters, and he did grow up in a stable home with two loving parents who cared for him. Uh, his dad was a hard worker. He was a, a tree trimmer. So oh. it's not easy work. At oh, all. I can testify. <laughs> right. That's true. You know. It's not easy. He recognized in his interview with the dispatch, he said, I had it better than most kids. We never went hungry. We had all we ever wanted and more, really. But for him, it just still wasn't enough. At age 12, so around puberty, is when things really started to kind of go south for him, for Terry. He started to sneak out at night. He broke into a restaurant that was near his home. He said that he doesn't really remember why, but after that incident, he got shipped off to a reformatory school for the first time. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, that's almost as bad as hearing the word orphanage. It really, it's horrible. They were not good. Not good. Um, And since he was 12, he has basically been behind bars on and off uh, ever since then. Now, the majority of of time between 12 and 16 was for things like breaking and entering, petty theft, things like that. But then at the age of 16, he, um, trigger warning, now we're going to get into some more of the grisly things, but at 16, he actually raped a 54-year-old woman. Oh my gosh. Yes. And that was really the first time that he realized that he enjoyed the brutality of that. So connecting, forcing himself on, you know, onto someone was arousing for him. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So he did go to prison at the age of 17 for that rape. And he also held up a hotel clerk at Knife Point and stole a gun and money from a store. And... What happened at this point in time, so between 16, or excuse me, between 12 and in the rape of the 54-year-old woman, that's what he was doing, you know, holding up the, the knife, the clerk at knife point, stealing a gun, stealing money, things like that. 
And what he realized is that he was getting caught because his victims could identify him. So then he goes to prison for the, for the rape. When he was released on parole, he learns if he's going to continue this behavior, he needs to make sure that his victims are no longer alive to identify him, unfortunately. So what happened is he would often purposefully violate his parole with the intention of going back to the comfort of prison. He openly admits that he cannot function on the outside. And think about it. He hasn't been on the outside really since he was 12 years old. Yeah. The prison, he liked the structure of the prison. The prison. Some people do actually function better in a very structured mm-hmm. environment. Yep. He openly says that he likes the structure of the prison environment. I have more quotes more towards the end of it that's just going to piss you off. So in 2006, Terry Shepard returns to prison on a parole violation that he did on purpose. This was not rape to my understanding, but it was robbery with a weapon. So that was pretty, is pretty serious. I see that he's just kind of increasing Mm -hmm. with his crimes. I mean, they're getting worse. He doesn't want to be on the outside at all. Um, His actual quote was, I wasn't 10 steps off the bus when there were probably 25 people lined up throwing cigarettes and comfortable shorts and stuff at me. What an interesting variety of things. That's what I thought. I was like, so they're literally. Comfortable shorts. They're throwing stuff. And he's like, oh, look at these people just throwing out comfortable. Those shorts look really convenient for leisurely activities. Literally how unfazed he was. By the fact that he maybe on the spectrum a little bit. I don't know. Possibly. But he just. Curious. Yeah. There wasn't any indication of that. But with the way he likes the structured environment. I don't know. I'm just kind of getting some tones. Doesn't care about what society thinks of him at all. Oh, look. In the midst of everything, he's like, look at those comfortable cotton shorts. That you're just willingly (laughs) throwing at me in rage because I'm a monster person. Right? Yep. Yep. Interesting. Now, I don't know why they were, there was these people lined up throwing stuff at, because when I found this quote, I was like, oh, this must be about his murders. He must have been. But this was in 2006. He hadn't murdered anybody yet. But people obviously were like aware of his crimes. Yeah, I think so. That he's, I would imagine it had to do with the rape of the 50-year-old Oh, God, yeah. And I, there wasn't. Other names, I do my understanding, and please bear with me because aside from some court documents and only a few articles, this was not heavily covered. My information is as as much as it could be that I could uh, get, I collected and put together. So my understanding of them throwing the cigarette butts and all of that was when he was going to prison for rape gotcha. not the murders okay yep so i don't imagine they were reacted very well to his murdering tendencies either probably and not. a lot of his victims like his rape v- victims were not named so he went to the noble correctional institution in caldwell and he says that his first night back he was out in the prison yard drinking coffee smoking a cigarette And he says, quote, I looked out over all that was before me and I thought, finally, I'm home. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. She's like, daddy's home. Daddy's home in 2006 after That's where he was comfortable. Yes. Yep. He earned two college degrees in prison, 
One in psychology and in sociology. Look at him thriving in the controlled, structured environment. Mm -hmm. Wow. He took the classes to figure out what's what's wrong with him. He said, it's impossible. No one, not even me, can figure out what I am. Also, if if, if it sounded that I was proud of him, that was not... Like, look at him (laughs) thriving. I did not mean to come across that way, but it's just fascinating. Like, when he was there, he was fine. Right, but That's when crazy. He, right, and when he's on the outside, he, he can't was, handle he it. He was a literal monster yeah. on the outside, but on the inside, he could study psychology and sociology and earn two degrees. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, and here he is. Like I still, even after those two degrees, I cannot figure out why I am the way I am. Wow, which is honestly doesn't surprise me because we still can't answer those questions about serial killers. About pedophiles, about horrifically violent and and heinous people, cannibalism, all of that. We can make our best educated guesses, but we really do not know at the end of the day why people do that shit. Well, and I mean, as we see in other cases, too, there's, you know, five different opinions, 500 Mm -hmm. diagnoses. Absolutely. And, you know, this guy's over here like, yep, I... I got nothing. I don't know why I'm sure, this way. No idea. I've studied it. Not not a clue. Good family. Right. It, he know. makes that very clear. It's not his childhood. He didn't have an abusive childhood. He just is the way that he is, which is almost scary when you think Terrifying. about it. I would rather there be some sort of early childhood explanation here. <laughs> Me too. You, As a parent, you try your best to like... Right. Do all of the right things so yeah. your children don't grow up as could still be a serial killer, <laughs> but you still may not get it right. right. I don't know. It's so scary to me. It really is. So not only does he say he enjoys prison, but he's like, listen, I can go to the library whenever I want to to pick up a Western novel. He loves milk. He said that he'll smuggle plenty of it from the kitchen. In prison, he knows how to get anything that that he wants. And that makes him a king. I love the randomness of all of this. Just like, I can get milk. a Western. I love milk. Give I myself have an sm- abundance of oh, milk. Right. A Western novel and a jug of milk, and I'm happy. Oh, my what goodness. The fuck? So, but he was released early in 2008. Because he was doing so well. Well, that's just it. Oh, I absolutely think so, Amber. He was living, as he said, like a king. He had no reason to pick beefs with people. Milk he for was days. Happy. Right. He is happy with his vitamin D milk, getting his calcium, <laughs> calcium on. Calcium infused. Life was good. Yeah. And here he is thrust back out into the world in 2008 and was right back to a life of crime. Literally right back. Because September 27th, 2008, Terry Shepard breaks into the country home of 78-year-old Clara Dell Keller. Oh, Isn't no. that a beautiful name? It is, and I don't like where this is going. Oh, no. Now we're going to trigger warning into murder. But Clara Dell. I love That's it. That's a beautiful name. I would love a kitten named Clara Dell. Just call her Clara or Dell or sometimes Clara Dell when she's in trouble. A full name. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So his intentions were to steal her antiques her toys, so I, I'm assuming she had, like, antique toys, too, because she's 78. Okay. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I mean. I'm not sure. It just said No toys. disrespect, but. But I don't, I'm not sure. 
Oh, she's a feisty one. My warped mind. I'm like, what kind of toys? What kind of toys, Clara kind of Toys do we got? She was. She absolutely was feisty because she fought hard for her life. Oh, this is. I'm. I'm sad already. She had collectibles, and then of course money and guns. And the whole reason why he broke into Claridel's house is because he wanted to pay his $350 rent, buy cigarettes, beer, and drugs. It will interest you to know that Terry Shepard is married. He got out of the clink, oh. found himself a woman. Oh, wow. And it is unclear to me, and it's very possible that he was married before he went in in 2006. Okay. Now, he's an adult at this point in time. I couldn't find his damn birthday. I'm sorry. I looked for it. I don't know his exact birthday, but he's not 16 at this point in time. Remember, he went into prison for the first time at 16, then he got out, then he reoffended on purpose, got back into prison in 2006. I would assume that in 2006 is when he was already married because he gets out in 2008, and this is where he escalates and reoffends, but he has two young daughters. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. So, I believe before he went in back into 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 the clink in 2006 he was already married and had these children at least they were gestating anyway probably the second one so cuz they were pretty young and I don't mean to be vague here it's just when the information's not available it's not available so I and I hate, I hate to make any assumptions about lives here so I just know at this point in time in 2008 he was married did have two young daughters um that lived with him as well. And he, his rent was three fifty. He needed to pay it. So he figured Claridel's valuables could do that for him. Wow. Well, Claridel is no pushover. She was not about to let him take her stuff without hearing from her. So she confronts him. Now, was this like middle of the night or not sure? Yeah, it is at night. Yes. Now, tragically, Terry Shepard overcame Claridel, tied her up in a chair and instead of just leaving her like that and stealing her shit, he escalates and strangles her. He then set the house on fire. Oh, no. And drove away in her Chevy Caprice. Her body was discovered in the rubble the next day. I'm so senseless. I'm so, so glad she, like, fought for her life and was she like, did. you're not going to take my stuff. She did. She tried anyway. That's and, so sad, though. And, I mean, he had her tied up in a chair. You can take all of her shit at that point in time. The fact that he escalated to murder tells me that he he was ready to go back. He wanted back in prison. Yeah. And at this um so his wife's name is Brandy Shepard. Now, unfortunately, Brandy suffered from addiction and obviously poor choice in men. And like I had mentioned earlier, they had their two young daughters. Well, when Terry returned home to their Hardin County house on the night of September 27th, 2008, Brandy asked her husband where the hell he had been. Now, he did tell her that he robbed a woman, but said nothing about the murder. And apparently she's okay with robbery? Oh, and, and, so she was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay, so you got the rent money. Cool. But she, and I'm sure that she knew of his previous rape charges and whatnot. because It sounds like they were well known if people were throwing comfortable shorts at him. Mm -hmm. So and this is a small town. Right. Yeah. 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 So uh, what happened to the good old fashioned J-O-B to get the, the money? No. Call no, me old fashioned. Not for you are <laughs> grandma. 
old school kind People of gal don't here. don't work for their money. Don't uh, you know? Man. Get yourself a man that just robs that and murders for elderly you. women. Yeah. Yeah. Who he, who he knows he can overpower. Notice he didn't pick a, you know, a exactly. strapping doctor's house or right. anything. Exactly. God. He's a worm. When Brandy saw the story in the newspaper the next day about Clarabelle's death, she confronted Terry about it. In one source, it simply says that Terry admitted to Brandy what he had done. So that made me think that he admitted to murdering her. But as we will see, Brandy actually ends up getting some charges slapped on her because of all this. And she said in her statement that Terry manipulated everyone around him, including herself, and that she did not have anything to do with his murders. This is where the the prosecutors in Brandy's case, and I'll get to her case in a little while, said, you know, but the thing is, is that you should have known something was was wrong because he asked Brandy to help him get rid of her vehicle. That would be a red flag. So either Brandy's like, okay, he robbed her. like what, And still what? took her car and she's fine. Right. Or... She knew about the story in the newspaper, so I don't know if he, what he left out was the fact that he strangled her first and was like, yeah, I set the house on fire and she died in the fire. Either way, it's still freaking murder. Uh, Right. Right? So I don't know when she says he manipulated me, did he spin a tale of like, yeah, I robbed her and I set the house on fire and she just didn't get out? Or I robbed her and ironically her house caught on fire and that's not on me? She was still just like... Okay. Yeah. Like what story did he pull, you know, or did he say I strangled her? Because in her statement to the police or to the judge, when she gets sentenced, she flat out says that she did not know that he murdered anyone until his case came forward. And so, and she wanted the families to know she had nothing to do with their murders. And there's not any evidence that she did aside from helping him get rid of Clarabelle's car. And that's where the prosecutors are like, well, you should have known at that point, but at the same token, this bitch be high. Mm, she had a serious okay. drug addiction. So, so she could have just totally been passive because she was right. super high. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I That I'll buy. Like, I believe that. that and I don't know. Is but. there some domestic violence? Is he kind of like, you know what? Shut up, bitch, and just do what I say. There's always that possibility, too. Yeah, but so, but yeah, so she said she had no idea, but she did she help get ha- rid yep, of the car. Yep, she made it clear to the victims' families that she did not have anything to do with the the murders at all. But she did admit that she helped Terry burn Clarabelle's car and sell all the things that he stole from her in a pawn shop in Lima, Ohio. So she did admit to that. Well, but not far from us. I no, it's not, and I can see where. He might have been like, we got to get rid of the car because people will know I stole it, too. I mean, it doesn't, just because someone stole a car doesn't mean they murdered somebody. So I will throw her that bone that like, all right, you're used to him stealing things. Now, the thing is, is that Brandy did not tell anyone what had happened. And if she had, the next two victims' lives probably would have been spared. Oh, no. Yeah. So she does have to live with that on her conscience conscience as well. On October 12th, 2008, so this is literally two weeks later after Clarabel, 57-year-old Judy uh, Kearley and 52-year-old Deb England, these are two women from Kenton, Ohio. Now, they did not know Terry. 
but he claimed to need a ride to a nearby business. Now, the two were actually in a borrowed pickup truck themselves. It wasn't their truck. They had borrowed it, and Terry needed a ride, so they ended up, you know, being willing to give him a ride. They went to an abandoned business, but the girl, the women didn't know it was an abandoned business, and somehow Terry, this is unknown, of how Terry got them to come into the business with them when they were in there. So I don't know if he was like, hey, I'll pay you for the ride. I just got somebody inside to get the money from. Uh-huh. I, you know, I, I thought about that. That could be a way. Terry was well-known into drugs. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I don't know. But somehow they went into this business that ends up being an abandoned business. He overpowers them and he hogtied Judy with an extension cord. Now, Deb England managed to get Judy's cell phone and dial 911. The call was cut off when Shepard took the phone and smashed it. And he then tied Deb as well. In interviews, Terry has indicated that there are a lot of things that happened that no one will ever know about. Oh, gosh. That just gives me chills. For sure. We know that he has a history of being a violent sexual offender, so I don't think that it's unreasonable to question what these these women may have suffered through before he threw them in the bed of the Dodge pickup, their own Dodge pickup truck. Well, their borrowed Dodge pickup truck, should I say. This is horrible. He's like, they just stopped to help this man. Yep. And he, I think, likes having the power of like saying what happened between them when we were in that business. And by the time I put them in the back of the pickup truck, that's for me to know and only me to know. And he really likes having that, that power. He's not going to admit it. He stated that they were then going down the road when Deb England stood up, smashed the rear window with a claw hammer that she found in the back. Love that. Uh And struck him. And in my notes, I wrote, fuck yeah, Deb. Love Deb. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a glory moment. Seriously. Yep. Went right through. I mean, realistically, they could have just tried to jump out of the truck. You know, she could have jumped out of the truck, but she was like, like no, no, no he's going down. I'm getting a strike in. Oh, him. I love it. Yeah. But he said, you know, obviously at this point in time, he is struck in the back of the head with this hammer. So that's affecting his driving. While Deb stumbled, it, like took a tumble from the pickup truck onto the roadway and died. <gasps> oh, my God. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And he realized then because he was expecting Judy to be, like, next on the attack. So he realized at that point in time that Judy had stopped struggling, so she likely was already gone as well by the time Deb even struck him in the head with the hammer. I am frozen in time right now. I know. I see your face. Oh, Close up before something flies in there. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're right. That's so sad. It's like she had this moment of, like, almost... Uh, she she went she went down as a hero though she absolutely did well and to me she had control of her own death at that point in time then yeah you're right he did not get to take that from her no and I don't know if it was for her the realization that Judy was gone you know or like back that I'm if I'm gonna go down I'm going down swinging right and I do not know we don't know the cause of death of Judy because whatever happened in that warehouse happened. Oh. And then he put her in the back of the pickup truck and she passed away. She was alive when he put her in the pickup truck. And in that drive, she passed away. 
So I I do not know. I am so proud of Deb for doing what she did because God knows what she went through in that right. warehouse. Yep. He drives to an abandoned farmhouse in western Hardin County, left the women there along with the property that he'd stolen from Clara Del Keller and hadn't pawned yet. Oh my so God, you've got to be kidding me. Nope, the remaining things he still like had with him. So Clara died mm-hmm. for her tchotchkes yep. that he didn't even sell. He didn't, not all of them, because he did pawn, Brandy did say they did okay, pawn so some, some of, of the stuff in Lima. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, these senseless acts, and like they I make know. me so mad. And he's just going to burn them with, <sighs> you know, with the bodies of... I shouldn't say tchotchkes. Dead. They were antiques. They obviously had value. We know antiques are expensive. Yes, but I do love the word tchotchkes. Tchotchkes. My favorite. Yeah. And they're just fun. They're fun to they collect. They are. I have a whole dining room shelf. We used to have a full cabinet of full of tchotchkes yes. when I was a kid. Loved all of and them. And I'm picturing Clara Dell's just being lovely and elegant. Yeah, me too. And so what he does is he catches this abandoned farmhouse on fire with their bodies in it and the remains of Claridel's items and destroys them. And he was very successful in doing that. And he then fled the scene in that Dodge pickup truck. Now, this is where our listener comes in. It was this house fire that she saw from her own house. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yep, she described that she was like 20 at the time and pregnant, didn't really think anything of it. Just like, oh, there's a house on fire. You know, she had no idea what was going on. Talk about chills down the spine. Yes. Well, and she has another connection to it as well that I'll get to in just a second. But so he he flees in this truck. On October 13th, 2008, so not long after this, this happened October 12th, so literally the next day, Charnel, good job on your dates of the calendar. Way to go. Um, the police located the truck that was parked behind, now follow me here, Terry Shepard had a brother named Bill. Remember, he had seven brothers and sisters. Yes. So one of his brothers, Bill, he stashed that truck behind Bill's home, and police were on the lookout for this vehicle. Obviously, Deb and Judy's family was worried when they did not return the borrowed truck, you know? Yeah. So they find it, and they see blood in the bed of the truck and damage to the body of the truck. Because remember, the shattered rear window with the claw hammer. So they're like, hey, um, what's going on? Now, this is where I bring you the listener again that requested this this case. This home where the truck was stashed was actually her, at at the time, mother-in-law's house. Oh, my gosh. Her mother-in-law was dating Bill. Stop. Yes. And she said that they actually did try to charge them with, like, accessory. Oh. I mean... There were some cognitive disabilities here, and it was after a while of investigating, they realized... They, they had no idea. No, what was and honestly, if someone just parked, if one of my family members just came to me and was like, "I need to keep my truck at your house for you know a day or so," blah blah. blah. I mean, there's all different kinds of stories. 
Yeah. I won't lie. Even like, being okay. in true crime, I'm not going and looking for blood in it or anything like that. Look at Dorothea Puente. She's like, build me this coffin and throw it in the river. Don't ask any questions. And somebody and did, did it. That's <laughs> right. There was a guy that was like, all right. Right. Okay. And apparently there's an episode on her. So many people have wrote us to let us know. She's picked back up. She has. There's- episode three, Crime Curious. Yes. Hear the, hear the full story. But I guess there's like. There's a Netflix thing on her, I like, guess. I haven't seen it. World's but- Worst Roommate or something like that. There's just one episode on her. Yeah. I'll have to check it sure, out. for sure. She definitely was the world's But no, roommate. I I get it. It's like, hey, can I, you know, and leave my truck he here? Like, or hey, this back, this back uh, window broke out. Yeah. So can I, you know, can I leave it here until I we'll can take back. it to get fixed? Yeah. I mean, there's all different kinds if of I, excuses. If I asked you to leave my, you know, escape in the drive, you would let me. For sure. I absolutely would. Yeah. So, so I, I get it. Yeah. I do. That doesn't make them accessories to murder. So, But I guess for a while they were considering charging them. Right. And trying to figure out where they might fit in. Well, on the other end of things, every everyone's a suspect and until yes. proven innocent, yeah, you know. Sure. So, wow, what a crazy twist yes. to this. That's what I thought, too. I was like, oh, that's why I wanted to cover this, even though there wasn't a plethora of information. I'm like, oh, we've got to cover it. One of our listeners is connected right. to this. Also, she she thought that maybe Bill himself had did have some charges that stuck, but I could not find court documents to confirm that. So it's possible that he was charged, but then they ended up dropping them because there was not any court record of it actually happening. Terry Shepard was soon found hiding in the basement of a nearby residence, and when he was questioned by the police, he readily admitted to the murders. I was surprised he even was hiding, honestly. Me too. That really surprised me as well. It's like um, he wanted to, he did well in prison and wanted to go back, yep. so. Yep. And here's the thing, you guys. He was still on parole for those rape convictions that put him back in in 2006. Yeah. And aggravated ro- robbery and theft, all of that that we where mentioned was, before. Where was the PO at? <laughs> I, I have questions. Well, he... Like, in all seriousness, though, this only went down in a two-week span. He spiraled out Oh, of, you know, I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. I he thought, spiraled out of control okay. quick. I was, I was thinking months or something. No. I'm like, why is he not checking in? Oh, no. It was... Not that was, the PO would know this stuff. I'm not, like, blaming that yeah. person, but... Wow. No, okay. Never, so this was, like... Never gave him a chance. He got, he got out, out and mm-hmm. was, like, bam. Yep. Did all of this. It's so unfortunate because I feel like he would have... Just been okay in prison. Yeah. Like, just, just keep him in prison. Leave him there, I guess. So on November 7th, 2008, the Hardin County Grand Jury indicted Terry Shepard on two counts of aggravated murder in violation of his parole as well. And he entered pleas of not guilty to the charges on November 14th. I And here's the thing. I'm like, why? I don't know if they were trying to get reason of insanity so he could go to a different type of prison, like a federal prison instead of state, because those are better. I really couldn't figure out why he did that. Because then on December 12th, so a month later, he changed his plea to guilty. Interesting. Yeah. So then they're like, fine. The trial court was like, we will immediately proceed with sentencing for you, sir. And the judgment was entered on December 15th for two consecutive life, life sentences, plus 26 years for parole violation, which is something that in 2009, Terry tried to appeal, but it went nowhere. He was like, listen, and he was 40 years old in 2008. 
when um, this happened. He knows that he's going to remain the rest of his life in prison where he's like, it's, that's fine. I sleep well at night. Now, he makes no apologies for what happened. He said that would be insincere. He quoted, or in, this is a quote in the dispatch as well. I know there has been pain. It was senseless, sure, but I just shut it down and I black it out. I have no emotions. He said that he actually begged to go back to prison before this happened when he was released. Um, He said, I tried to be on the outside three times and it doesn't work. This reminds me of our, it was our bonus actually, um, where in my case, the forensic psychologist said, you want to believe that these people with the psychopathic tendencies that they have emotion behind that. You want to believe there's there's got to be something, but there's nothing. There's not. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. And he is a very prime example of that. He is, and, and but he's very self-aware of it as well. Yeah. Like, stop trying to to force emotion on me. I don't have any. I don't so, feel no. bad for this. I'm I not, told yep. you to keep me here. Yep. I'm not going to make apologies because I know it wouldn't be sincere because I'm not sorry. I'm not capable of feeling sorry. And... Like he said, I've I've tried it on the outside three times and it doesn't work. I begged to go back to prison. And so I just feel like the escalation to murder was his way of being able to completely solidify. I mean, it was a two-week span. Yeah. Solidify that he would get to go back. I don't know why he was hiding. No, no clue. I don't know why he wouldn't have just been like, here I am. I did it. Like he said, he can't figure out why he is the way he is either. One of the one of the investigators on the case was really struck in, stricken, stricken, stricken by the way that he talked about the way he murdered these women as if they were exchanging recipes across the table from one another. Isn't that just unbelievable? Yeah, really is. It really is. But he has made no qualms about how much he loves prison and all the milk he can smuggle into his cell. So, dear God. During his sentencing, Deb England's sister in law, Mary Jo England, spoke directly to Terry Shepard, saying, You are Satan. You are an animal preying on innocent women. What goes around comes around, and I hope you rot in hell. Nicely said. Nicely said, yep. I was just going to say it's amazing because you hear just such a variety of statements. Mm -hmm. Like some people forgive. And they're like, I'm choosing to move forward. And others are just like, nope, I got nothing. Like, right in hell. I don't think I could speak. I really don't know. I don't know that that I I could could either. I really don't. I don't know that I want to give them that justification. I think they enjoy it to a degree. I know. And and, well, and like we said, somebody like this that has no remorse, is it worth the trauma of you maybe reliving something? Right. Right. I don't know. It depends on the person. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's justice for them just to say, what they need to. I don't think it always is though. Right. I don't know. I agree. And I apologize because um, I forgot that I had found this and added this into the notes. And please keep in mind, guys, that I was in the hospital not knowing at the, when I wrote this episode, I did not know if my husband was going to be okay or not. So um, I've, I have forgot a little bit of what was in my notes, but he was tried separately and given another life sentence for the murder of Claudel, and he did enter a plea of guilty to that one as well. So he is serving three life sentences. So they are, so Brandy Shepard, I told you, his wife, was sentenced for, her charges were complicity to arson and two other charges in Hardin County. She was just in the common pleas court. She said that she had nothing to do with the murder of Clara Del Keller and the other two women that her husband had been convicted already of killing. Her quote was, I wanted to let everyone know that I had no idea what he had done or was about to do again. 
He manipulated everyone he came into contact with, including myself. Judge William D. Hart sentenced Brandy to five years of community control, so that's similar to probation, on three felony counts, complicity to arson, complicity to tampering with evidence, and obstruction of justice. The judge also ordered her to perform 200 hours of public service and spend time in an alcohol and drug treatment center. Hart warned that if she does not comply with that sentence, she would be ordered to serve up to nine years in prison. Does anyone else have mixed feelings on Brandy? Because I'm just like, maybe you had nothing to do with it, but you also kind of like helped in really shady circumstances. And if you, like you said, if if she would have said something. Yeah. I mean, he would have been back to prison with just that. Yep. You helped burn Claridel's car and then you also helped pawn her stuff. So that apology made me like just a tad cringe. cringe. It's cringy. Yeah. For sure. The judge said the best thing that that can happen to you in the next five years is that you get the help that you need and maybe get better Ag- taste and Agreed, mind, yeah. So they did not have any evidence that Brandy Shepard aided her husband in uh, Claridelle Keller's murder, but the prosecutor was like, listen, you knew he was doing something shady when you when he drove you to a field in that car and you guys set it on fire and, and drove that's away. That's all I'm saying. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, so there's that. And I know this episode's a little bit shorter, but this is why. Because while I spent those 10 days next to my husband in hospital, I did a deep, 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 deep dive. The deepest the, dive of all times. The deepest dive to date. <laughs> um, your next episodes, we're, Amber, we're about to record another episode that'll release Thursday of Amber's. And then after that, you're going to get a whole lot of Charnel in a whole whole lot of a case that will blow your freaking mind to pieces so like march is going to be just a lot of deep dive into what's known as the kruger's drop murders it's amazingly horrific (laughs) i like that (laughs) add-on um but holy hell and i can't wait for to get it out of my brain and get through it because i read books and listen to podcasts and so and that's how I spent my time and uh it really really helped distract me from what was going on in the real world in my life at the time but I'm ready to deliver it to you guys so just so you know I'm aware that this was a shorter case did that on purpose because then I went to a 35 page case for you so just get ready for that but in the meantime I gotta give you I think this is the most epic epic brain bath of a sometimes we read obituaries Mm, yes we do uh, my cousin actually sent me this one I don't know exactly where she got it it was an online article but I couldn't read when I'd click on it it wouldn't tell me like the url or anything it's amazing and amber honey if I die first this is your template my dear all right I I have it saved on my computer we have committed to honoring each other's wishes, yep. so I have this noted. Yep, this is the template. It's under Renee Mandel Corinne. Okay. The, yep. I it, mean. It's done. You know my terms are right side of my face, yes. soft lighting. That's right. And, you know, headshot. For sure. I'd like nobody, to be in comfy clothes. Shot. Please. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. But this is what my obit, it better be this epic. Done. I'm going to read it for you word to word, guys. 
It is fantastic. Here we go. A plus-sized Jewish lady redneck died in El Paso. This is Texas. On Saturday. I love it already. Of itself, hardly news. Or good news if you're the type that subscribes to the notion that anybody not named you dying in El Paso, Texas is good news. In which case, I have got news for you. The body, fertile, redheaded matriarch of a sprawling Jewish-Mexican redneck American family has kicked it. This was not good news to Renee Mandel Corinne's many surviving children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, many of whom she, she even knew and, in her own way, loved. <laughs> in her How own touching. way. How touching. There will be much mourning in the many glamorous locales that she went bankrupt in. <laughs> McKeesport, Pennsylvania, Rainey's birthplace, and where she first fell in love with ham and atheism. Oh, ham. <laughs> Just ham. She fell in love with ham. I get it. Ham's delicious. Right. <laughs> Fayetteville and Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, where Renee's dream. Have I been saying Rainey's? I'm sorry. It's Renee. Oh, you <laughs> did say Rainey. You did. I did. I actually think that that was a typo because it's spelled differently. And maybe that's on purpose. Because maybe be. people messed up her name several, you know what I mean, in oh, real life. okay. Because it does say Rainy in one area, and then now it's Renee, but it's spelled R-E-N-A-Y. So it's a little bit different. So maybe they did that ironically. <laughs> but it said, um, anyway, in Fayetteville and Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, where Renee's dream, credit rating, and marriage are all buried. And of, <laughs> and of course, this is great. Miami, Florida. Where Renee's parents, uncles, aunts, and eternal hopes of all Miami Dolphin fans everywhere are all buried pretty deep. Renee was preceded in death by Don Shula because she was my mother. The the death of Zaftig, good time gal Renee Corinne at the impossible old age of 84 is newsworthy to me, and I treat it with the same respect and reverence she had for, well, nothing. A more respectable, I'm sorry, a more disrespectful, trash reading, talking, and watching woman in North Carolina, Florida, or Texas was not to be found. Hers was an, an inherent, much-lived life, a Yankee, Florida, liberal, Jewish, tough gal who bowled them in Japan, rolled them in North Carolina, and was a singularly unique parent. Often frustrated by the stifling and conservative culture of the South, Renee turned her precarious mind to the home front, becoming a model, stay-at-home parent, a supermom, really just the perfect PTA lady, volunteer, amateur baker, and <laughs> just kidding, y'all. <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, oh, we're getting to the good, you know, the, the sincere stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> Renee or Rosie to her friends, and this was a broad who never met a stranger, worked double shifts with her Doreen, ate a ton of carbs with Bernie, and could occasionally be stirred to stew some stuffed cabbage for the kids. She played cards like a shark, bowled and played cribbage like a pro, and laughed with the boys until the wee hours. I would have been friends with Renee, I'm just saying. Oh, for sure. Uh, so played and bowled with the boys until the wee hours long after the last pin dropped. 
At one point in the 1980s, Renee was the 11th or 12th ranked woman in cribbage in America. Nice. And while that could be a lie, it sounds great to print. <laughs> <laughs> this keeps getting me. I'm like, yay. Yeah. She also told us that she came up with the name for Sunoco, and I chose to believe this too. Renee lied a lot. <laughs> but oh, on the plus gosh. side, Renee didn't cook. On the plus side. <laughs> uh, on the plus side. Oh, my God. I lost my place. I'm sorry. Renee didn't cook. She didn't clean. And she was lousy with money, too. Here's what Renee was great at. Dyeing her roots red, weekly manicures, dirty jokes, pure fishing, rolling joints, and buying dirty magazines. She sounds like my mother. <laughs> <laughs> This could be her obit. I'm telling I should you, take notes. I'm saving the template. You just use it as you see fit. She said she read them for the articles, but filthy free speech was really Renee's thing. Oh, me too, Renee. Oh my I gosh, get it. I feel connected to Renee in so many ways. Hers was a bowdy, rowdy, life lived large, broke, and loud. We thought Renee could not be killed. God knows people tried a lot. Renee has been toying with death for decades, but always beating it and running off to her silver Chevy Nova. COVID couldn't kill Renee. Neither could pneumonia. Twice. Infections, <laughs> blood clots, bad feet, breast cancer twice, two mastectomies, two recessions, multiple bankruptcies, marriage to a philandering sergeant major divorce in the 70s, six kids, one cesarean, a few abortions from the quietly famous abortionist of Spring Lake, North Carolina, or an affair with Larry King in the 60s. Wow, <laughs> Renee really lived. Woo! I feel like I should have read that faster. Like, these are all the things that can't kill Renee. COVID, pneumonia twice, infections, blood clot, bad feet, breast cancer twice, two mastectomies, two recessions, multiple bankruptcies, marriage to a philandering sergeant, major divorce in the 70s, six kids, one cesarean, a few abortions from the quietly famous abortionist of Spring Lake, North Carolina, or an affair with Larry King in the 60s. Wow. <laughs> Good job. I can't believe I got through that. You've and heard, holy cow. You guys have heard me try to talk. Renee. Oh Renee. my gosh. Yes. So she was preceded in death by her ex-boyfriend. Larry King. Renee was also sadly preceded in death by her beloved daughter, Kathy Sue Corinne Lester Tremel Webster. Woo! Honey! That is a name! That is a name! Of uh, Kill Devil's Hills, North Carolina. The, that town just sounds like hardcore in, in itself. Well, it sounds like Kathy Sue Corinne Lester Tremel Webster was quite a person, <laughs> too, because it said... She was of Devil Kill or Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, who preceded or who herself was preceded in death by two marriages, a fudge shop, and one eyeball lost in a near fatal Pepsi bottle incident that will absolutely be explored in future obituaries. Oh my gosh. I'm just saying that Kill Devil Hills, it sounds like a place you don't want to break down. Like on right. the side of the road. I don't think you ever get out if you do. <laughs> no, you're not leaving. Mm -mm. No offense to anyone there, but I like, love it. You're not. You're not going to be wanting to walk to get nope. help. Nope. It says losing her one-eyed badass bitch of a daughter in 2007 devastated Renee, but it also made her quite homeless since Kathy pretty much picked up the tab. Oh my god! After quite homeless. <laughs> A talented and gregarious grifter, 
Yes, grifter. That's I thought it I thought I was supposed to say gifter, but it says grifter. Renee M. Corinne eked out her final years of luxury. She literally retired at 62. Under the care, compassion, checking accounts, and evidently unlimited patience of her favorite son and daughter-in-law, Michael and Lourdes Corinne, a world-famous cow sanctuary in El Paso, Texas. Renee is also survived by her son, Jeffrey Corinne, and his endlessly tolerant wife, Shirley, of Powell's Point, North Carolina, Scott Corinne, and what's left of his colon. (laughs) Stop. Oh, my gosh. Of Hampton, Virginia. Mark and Laura Corinne, the loveliest dirt farmers of Vernon, Texas. Seriously, where is that? And her favorite son, the gay one, who writes catty obituaries in his spare time, Andy Corinne of, obviously, New York City. So that's who wrote this. I love it. Plus two beloved grand dogs, Mia and Hudson. Renee was particularly close to and grateful for the lavish attentions of her granddaughter, Perla, and her great-grandchildren, Elijah and Leroy, as well as her constant cruise companions, Sam Tremel of Greenville, North Carolina, and Adam Corinne of El Paso, Texas. Renee took tremendous pride in making one gay son and two gay grandchildren. (laughs) Renee sounds like an amazing human being. There will be a very disrespectful and totally non-denominational memorial on May 10th, 2022. We haven't missed it, y'all. Oh my gosh, we could 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 go. go. Most likely at a bowling alley in Fayettesville, North Carolina. The family requests absolutely zero privacy or propriety, propriety. None whatsoever, and in fact encourages you to spend some government money today on a one-armed bandit all the blackjack at the blackjack table or on a cheap cruise to find our inheritance. She spent it all, folks. She left me nothing but those lousy, these lousy memories, which I and my family of five brothers and my sister-in-laws, nephews, friends, nieces, neighbors, ex-boyfriends, Larry King's children, who I guess I might be one of, and total strangers who all, to a person, loved and will cherish her forever. Please think of the brightly frocked, frivolous, funny, and smart Jewish redhead who is about to grift you, tell you a filthy joke, and for Larry King's sake, laugh. Bye, Mommy. We love you to bits. Rest in peace, Renee Mandel Corinne. She was born May 10th, 1937, and she died December 11th, 2001. Wow. Wasn't that epic? That was good. Like, that was... That was good. Wrote by her gay son who lives in New York and writes catty obituaries, and I love him. I love it, yes. Rest in peace, Renee. It sounds like you really One hell of a life. For sure. My, My hero. Yep, Renee Mandel Corinne. There it is. I so, will raise my glass to her. Toast well, it's empty, to you. but oh, I'm still raising it. Is. It is. I still have a little. So <laughs> to you, Drink Renee. to Renee. All right. We hope you guys keep listening. Follow us on all the social media pages if you'd like. And send us your case suggestions on messages there or uh, crimecurious at yahoo.com. Till next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.